When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Galactica. Actually, I am Jamie Smith and joining me is my co-host. A. Diablo Jackson. Did you have to think about your name there? Um, no, actually I was looking on the gain on my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, today we will be talking about Season 2, Episode 12, Resurrection Ship Part 2. The Here we are. Conclusion to where we left off last week with a cliffhanger of uh, Admiral and the Commander planning each other's assassinations. Yeah, but things, things are dire. We, things got very dark. Yes, if we open up on Lee, and I wrote in my notes that this is Lee, not Apollo. Floating in the water somewhere, and it goes on forever. It's just floating, floating, floating. I did note that he's incredibly buoyant. His entire body is practically on the surface of the water. <laughs> like, I don't know anybody <laughs> who can just lay flat on the water like that. Their legs don't sink, but I'm sure there was something actually holding him up. Anyway, <laughs> there is suddenly a bright light in his line of vision and he's sort of holding his arm up to squint against the sun and then it's a Cylon Raider that flies right at him and then what we see is that he is floating in space alone in his ejection seat as the battle goes on far away from him and then we cut to 48 hours earlier we are with Starbuck, who has just asked Lee to be her backup when she fulfills her mission to kill Admiral Kane. And she understands if he can't if he can't do it. But he says that she knows better than that and they shake hands. And he says he has this whole thing about like people have to have trust and it's your word and my word and if they if we don't then we're no better than the Cylons. Um, mm-hmm. and they hug and she thanks him. What do you think of this? <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I mean, especially when you put it into uh, relation to the pre uh, 
subsequent scene with him and Adama. Um, just because they, they don't, how to say it? They're like, they're sort of like opposites of each other. They're weirdly, they show different sides of things. But I like how, I like how Lee is. Like he he's loyal. He's like I'm gonna do this, but he also has like the the moral reservations about it. So he he's, he brings up the moral. He tries to bring up the moral side with his father, mm-hmm. um, but also there is that level of like I'm still gonna get your back. Um, yeah, that whole the whole bit about the word your word is uh, it's actually it was actually interesting i used to i took this uh seminar years ago and they they talk about that where it's like integrity like you do what you say so you you have nothing but your word it was like word for word what they uh they used to say in that seminar so i was like oh that's that was interesting i bet the whoever wrote uh wrote this episode probably went to that seminar also <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it it's true and it's it ties into um what adama talks about later with sharon it's like it's like a whole big tapestry and all of those smaller scenes kind of illuminate i think the point of the show which is how do we navigate humanity so you don't seem convinced <laughs> no i i i liked the scene um and I understand where he's coming from and why he's like, yes, of course I have your back, even though I don't agree with this. It just mm-hmm. seems like he, it's its not that he has reservations about supporting her or being her backup. It's that it's the mission itself that seems to be bothering him. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, so it makes sense. Like I, you, you should, I mean, you should have reservations about it, right? I think the audience does too. Yeah. Um, but he also recognizes, like, I mean, he's not going to just let her not, you know, he's not going to let her just, like, fend for herself either, you know? So that's right. that's the whole trust and getting your back and your word and that kind of stuff. Um, but, I, and, you know, he, he follows up with, tries to follow up with the Dama later. So it's not like he's just, like, gung-ho about it. Yeah. So we go to the Pegasus, which I guess we were probably already on the Pegasus. Um, Hilo and Chief are just hanging around in their cell when uh, those two assholes that were joking around about raping their Cylon prisoners show up. They Hilo call them calls the them Yeehaw the Boys, Sunshine Boys. <laughs> the Sunshine, yeah. He's well, he calls them both the Yeehaw and the Sunshine Boys. Hmm. <laughs> um, the one that's called Gage says that the man they killed saved his life and the lives of fifty other men calls Hilo a miserable frack. Hilo tells him that he can call him Sir. The one called Vareem guesses that they both were sleeping with that filthy little robot, but he uses a more disgusting euphemism. I won't speak their language. Chief gets up from the bunk and is like, I didn't quite hear that. The glass, like, really thick. So why don't you open the door and we can have a conversation? So they do. They open the door and immediately these other two Marines come in with guns and they're told to get on the ground. And then they are, um, they have to put their hands over their heads and Chief is like, what the frack is this? And Gage is just like, oh, don't worry. We'll take it real slow, sir. So then it goes to credits. And I read something about how... 
<laughs> considering what we know of these two and what they were bragging about, going to credits at that moment on that line gives a whole different connotation to what they mean. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's not uh, not outside of the bounds of, you know, believability for sure. Um, right. I mean, I, I, I took more from that scene from like full metal jacket than anything, but there, you know, it, it could have like prison, <laughs> prison scenes, uh, connotation to it also. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I have not seen full metal Ameri- jacket, but <clears throat> American me, um, starring Edward James almost was another one. So Another is that a prison, prison movie? movie? Really good. Yeah, it's really good if you mm. ever get a chance to watch it. It's like a really good movie. I watched it a billion times. So, Has Edward James almost won an Oscar? I know he was nominated. I can't remember what he was nominated for, but I thought he played a teacher in it. Oh, yeah. I was a stand and deliver, I think. Stand and deliver. So did he win yeah. the Oscar for that? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I mixed um, all of those movies up. I know I've heard of American Me and I've heard of Stand and Deliver and I've never seen either one of them. But I think I just thought they were the same movie. Yeah, no, American Me is like about like a <clears throat> prison movie. It's like the whatever Mexican mafia or something. It's it's a really, really good movie. Um, but nothing, no, nothing like Stand and Deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he was nominated for Stand and Deliver, but he did not win. Okay. Anyway, that is beside the point. Um, the point is... Tyrrell, Tyrrell's not a convincing tough guy, I have to say. <laughs> he, he, try, he was trying, but... What is it about him that you think is not convincing? I don't know. He just doesn't. He the way he was da- like standing behind the glass, and he was like, "I can't hear you." Like it just—he was too jovial about it. Like it was kind of like, dude. Like if they actually came in there, you weren't going to do anything. I didn't believe you would ever do anything. And there's there felt like he had a little bit of safety. He he kind of felt like, oh, they would never do anything anyway. So he was kind of talking big. But then, so yeah. what you're saying is he's only a tough guy when it comes to beating women. Because he does that pretty effectively a couple of times. What later. other time does he, well, he? I know the. I know one time we're talking about. He was. He was in a weird state. He wasn't doing that on purpose. But what was mm-hmm. the other? What was the other time? It's in the finale. What, what, why don't I even remember that? It's in no. the finale anyway. of the series. He kills someone. Oh, I'm. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Just say Come on. No, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, I see your point in there, like there is, but I mean, that, I mean, a little, a little warranted, maybe. I don't know. Um, but the other instance, he wasn't even like aware of his surroundings. So, I don't know. <laughs> Dirty uh- silo. <laughs> so we come back after credits and hilo and chief are strapped to the bunks and gage is like posturing he's talking about how 
the gut is a vulnerable area and if you really want to do some damage without leaving a mark you hit it there and he was taught this by thorn thorn just sounds like a great guy i'm really sorry we didn't get more time with him <laughs> Meanwhile, Vareem is wrapping a bar of soap in a towel, and he hits Hilo in the stomach. Chief calls them cowards, and Gage gets all mad about that because he's a coward and says he's not <laughs> going to go slow anymore and starts hitting Chief hard in the gut. Because if he wasn't a coward, they wouldn't be tied up. Right. If he wasn't a coward, he wouldn't rape prisoners. That's what I'm saying. Like... You go for yeah. vulnerable people. You don't go for people you think you could, you know, kick your ass, which I do believe that Chief probably could and Hilo probably could. Hilo clearly knows Krav Maga. <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, they, they came in there, like, with the, uh, I mean, they you know, they came with, with the Marines. So, like, that yeah. took everything off the table in, in terms of them even having a fighting chance, you know? Mm -hmm. So that definitely is cowardly yeah. for sure. So um, they're beating on Chief and Hilo when Fisk comes in, calls attention, and tells Gage and Vareem to get out of the cell. He tells the Marines to remove the restraints on the prisoners. And then he asks Gage if the men in there are wearing colonial uniforms. Gage says that they are, and Fisk then asks Vareem, and he agrees. Um, and then Vareem tries to say that they killed Lieutenant Thorne, and Fisk cuts, them, cuts him off, and telling him to shut his fracking mouth. And he says that he doesn't understand, because what it looks like is that two knuckle-draggers were just treating those men like Cylons, his words, which couldn't possibly be true, because if they were assaulting a chief and a lieutenant during a time of war... The punishment is very severe. And then he tells them to get the hell out of there and then tells the Marines to get out as well. Hilo thanks him, followed by Chief. And Fisk doesn't want their thanks. He says that he owes Lieutenant Thorne his life, as do many people on this ship. Hilo says he was trying to rape a prisoner, and Fisk is like, you can't rape a machine, and then leaves. So. I have two questions. I have a question about that scene and um, a statement about those guys. One is, what brand of soap was that that they were using? <laughs> and <laughs> It was a blocky green, not quite Irish Spring brand of soap. <laughs> I got really like focused on that for some reason. I don't I don't know why. Um, it started making me think about the practicalities of being on their ship. I don't know. Anyway, but the other one was, the statement is, uh, those guys definitely, absolutely will be a part of the uh, insurrection in <laughs> in season four, the mutiny. <laughs> if they're still alive, they might have died on New Caprica. Yeah, but you I mean you you hear what I'm saying though. Like they definitely yeah. have yeah. that energy for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. We then join Kane and Starbuck. Kane asks her if she drinks and Starbuck says only to excess. Kane is amused by this asking her if she learned that from Colonel Ty. She then says that she understands that Starbucks Starbuck punched him once. And Starbuck says that that was something she did without thinking. Kane tells her not to apologize. Some people get exactly what they deserve. And from what she's read about Ty, he deserves to get punched once in a while. I'm sure this is stuff that Starbuck has thought 
herself, clearly, mm-hmm. but she doesn't seem to love hearing Kane say it. So I'll give her a little bit of credit for that. She has like a, an expression on her face, like, should the Admiral be saying things like this to me? Yeah. <clears throat> Kane says that she knows that Starbuck is close with Adama. And she knows that he's a good man and that he's had to make a lot of hard choices over the last several months. Starbuck points out that maybe Kane can understand why he did what he did when he heard that she was going to execute Hilo and the chief. Kane says that she had to watch a lot of kids be put in body bags, covered in flags, floating out the airlock. Of course she understands. Sometimes terrible things have to be done. Inevitably, every one of them will have to face a moment when they commit a terrible sin. And if they flinch in that moment, then there are more kids in body bags. She tells Starbuck to promise not to flinch when she finds herself in one of those moments. And the question here is, does Kane assume that Adama is up to the same thing that she's up to? It's interesting. I actually have that in my notes at the very end. Um when they're having that actual sequence. I'd like to think in in some regards I think that she does, but the result of the sequence at the end makes me think no. She might have been like she might have contemplated it, but I don't think in reality she would have. But it's nice to think that they both had that suspicion. Um I mean, I like that she says that he's a good man. Like, there's, like, an emphasis on that part. And um, maybe she assumed he would uh, do something, but he let he let her... He let Starbuck kind of have the opportunity first. Um, and she wouldn't have had the chance to, like, counter if Starbuck had done anything. So I don't, in a practical sense, I don't think that she knew that that actually was happening. I don't think they thought about it that much either. Okay. So here's where we have Lee entering Adama's quarters on a courier run. Adama questions him being on a courier run. Like, oh, is this what they have you doing now? And <laughs> Apollo's like, well, I volunteered for this one. And he tells his dad that Starbuck talked to him about her mission. And I wrote his dad in my notes here because I feel like Apollo is not acting in the capacity of Apollo. He is, this is a son going to his dad being like, is this true? You really asked her to do this? Mm -hmm. Like not questioning a military decision, questioning a moral decision. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Adama wonders if he came there to change his mind and Apollo is just like, I just wanted to hear it from you. And that's when Adama says that the decision has been made. Apollo is disappointed and he asks if this is how you resolve your differences with superior officers, which is a good question. Mm -hmm. Valid question. Like, does this start a, a trend of, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to assassinate you. Adama says if Apollo is going to have a hard time backing Starbuck up, he'll find someone else to do it. And Apollo's like, it's not about backing her up. Adama is not debating this with his son. He says it was a hard decision, but he and the president think it's the right move. Apollo is shocked that this came from the president. And Adama's like, well, she's made a sterner stuff than people give her credit for. 
he gives the things that he assigned back to Apollo, and then does he refer to him as Lee, or does he? Yeah, no, I that that is in my notes. I this whole conversation is interesting because he specifically says Lieutenant, um, and when Lee leaves, he says Sir, and it's just in such mm-hmm. a formal way. Um, yeah. yeah, and their whole like their whole dynamic is interesting i noted how he like adama had this conversation with Rosalind, and there was a lot not not that it was it was like highly charged or emotional or anything but you know adama when he's speaking with Rosalind, is like like willing to contemplate all of these things but when lee comes in to try to discuss things he's kind of like dismissive is not quite the word but he he definitely he's not entertaining anything right and I, I understand on a practical level, part of it is just that he already, like, I've gone through all of this already. It's been decided. But he still kind of shuts his son down. And that sir and lieutenant part at the end is a lot more profound than it like kind of might seem on the surface. Because he doesn't have to overtly contemplate the morality part of it because he has resulted like he's fallen back on the the rank side of things and not their familial relationship i also think that adama is not going to debate his his military decisions with his son or with a lieutenant Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or with the captain. If Lee was still a captain, he wouldn't be debated. He's not going to debate his decisions. He made mm-hmm. them. This is the decision. And you know the chain of command, so I'm not debating it. If if Lee mm-hmm. came to him outside of an official capacity and was like, hey, dad, like man to man, like, can we talk about this? Like, why this? Why this decision? I'm not sure that Adamo would be at any more receptive to having the conversation in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just a, a clear, a, like another example of these two not really knowing how to have like the actual conversation they're trying to have. Lee doesn't yeah. know how to talk to his dad. Like it's his dad. And Adama doesn't really, he tries, but he doesn't really know how to talk to Lee. So they need to, they need to figure out their communication issues and just be upfront if there's something that is a question it's not i'm not questioning the order you're you've given i'm i'm questioning the why like mm-hmm. say that yeah it's it's so fascinating just again like he's so like there's they're so rigid in this scene and it's so juxtaposed to adama and the later scene with Rosalind, where they're like you know crying and um, yeah calling each other like bill and laura they're calling each other so it's just like that it's just how they're those two scenes are like placed side by side it's just it's really interesting um i don't know exactly what it says but um but also it tracks like it, obviously mm-hmm. father son family relationships can be very complex and there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that people take along with them every time you enter a new conversation. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, we'll, we'll see them go through some stuff over and over again as we move along. So this definitely 
And in, in, in a way, this kind of starts their downward spiral <laughs> to a point where it goes down again, but then it, it there's a reconciliation, but then they fall again and back it's and forth. It's like a roller coaster. They're, they're that kind of roller, the old school roller coaster that just goes up and down mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. That's, that's that. Yeah. And it, I mean, this goes, this is talking about the end to end, but I found their sort of like where we leave them at the very end of the show felt fitting to me because of how they actually are the rest of the show. So it's not like, yeah, yeah it's like, it's not like they would be this bond that stays with each other, you know? So the trauma bond thing doesn't seem to be a factor for the two of them. Like this whole thing yeah. that they're going through, you would think that by the end they would be incredibly bonded and over all of the past baggage, but it, mm-hmm. it never really leaves either one of them when it comes to each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a, uh, as a son and as a, a member of a family, I can attest to that. Um, those feelings and that impulse <laughs> you just like you you carry like you carry into conversations just stuff that happen even if you've let go or made peace or forgave somebody for something specifically you still just relate to them in a certain way based on the, all the stuff from the past so it definitely yep. tracks for me yeah same so then we go to starbuck getting ready for her mission um she stares at herself in the mirror and seems really conflicted before she slams it shut. Meanwhile, Fisk is and a compliment of Marines are getting ready to go to Galactica. They pass each other in the hallway and Fisk tells her good hunting and she returns that sentiment to him. On the Galactica, Fisk apologizes for having to be there in the CIC, but the Admiral didn't feel comfortable about their Marines being under his command. Um, think that oh he's talking to ty and ty is sorry about a lot of things he says he tells fisk to make sure all of the marines know what their areas of responsibility are in case they're boarded by cylons the last thing they need is colonials shooting each other ty does not suspect anything and he's being a good xo and protecting you know the people on the ship making sure i I like how I like when Ty is good at his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I I like I like that he's not in on any of this drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just very dutiful like, about everything. Yeah, just doing his job and also not distracted by his wife. His wife. We, we, I, I did. We have not seen in a while. The last episode, I I did think about. I was like, I wonder what Ellen would be doing right now. Would she like? She'd be trying. She'd be trying to make moves on Avril Kane or something. I don't know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So we can we get go a to suite Adama. together on Cloud Nine. <laughs> uh, I don't need my husband. Uh, <laughs> So we go to Adama and he is looking at his scars in the mirror and then we have Sharon being brought into his quarters. He tells the Marines to take her up, up, take off her restraints and wait outside. And once they do, he tells her to have a seat. He says he wants to know why the Cylons hate them so much. 
And she says that she's not sure how to answer that. Hate isn't the right word. And again, he's like, I'm not debating. I don't think that's the line he used, but he's basically like, I'm not debating this. And he just wants to know why. And so she talks about the speech he gave during the commencement ceremony when the Galactica was going to be decommissioned. He said that humanity was a flawed creation, that people still kill each other over petty things and jealousy, and that they never asked why they deserved to survive. And these are not her memories. These are Boomer's memories. But we've learned that she has Boomer's memories. So I don't know how how it, it she managed to have this bond her to Adama the way that it kind of starts to since really it's important that Adama sees her as a completely different person and this sort of grays that a bit but after she says that he asked why they deserve to survive she has paused and then she says maybe you don't um, in in the commentary, Ron Moore, he says that this scene um, for Sharon, um, this the scene in the previous episode is what makes her start to soften herself in in this episode. So the fact that Adama like like forgave or he asked for forgiveness or whatever he said um and he kind of stood up for her and um it was like it was what kind of what she needed to be even slightly bit open to warming up in this scene so i get that but how does what she the fact that she's using boomer's memories to explain this to him is well, she just talks about his speech, right? I, I, yes. I mean, I think I, I think we talked about this before. Like the speech that he gave, I just assume was something that the entire like it was it, it, like if I turned on my TV, um, on ESPN, like I could see this whatever random speech for this decommissioning of the ship is. Like anybody could have seen that speech. So I don't. I don't think that it's necessarily like Boomer's memories in this case. It's just like something he said and she has access to that. It's not like only the people on the ship were able to see it because it was something that was being broadcast to the entire 12 colonies. Not like, not that all of the colonies were watching it at that moment, but it was available to be watched by everybody. That's why all the news people were there. Also, was Boomer there? I guess that's a good question. Or had she already was she already out on her mission? Yeah, she was either she was either out. Uh, she had she hadn't quite flown out because she flew back out with Apollo when he was taking off. So yeah, she was either on the ship at that moment, or she could have been like. And, and the cap or whatever, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Anyways, I don't think it's to, I don't think it's her memories that she's really referring to. I, it's it's something he said that's on a on a record, and so that she's just referring to that. But there's nothing in the show that tells us that that it was. I mean, I don't. 
I mean, that that was the whole setup of the scene. Like, if you go back, I mean, that's why they had the media there. That's why... I just don't remember it being something that was being broadcast to the 12 colonies. It was something that was being covered by press. But yeah. there's nothing in the show that says that what's happening here is not Sharon accessing Boomer's memories. It's sort of, you know, it could be either because they don't tell us definitively either way. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like, like keep it simple. I just like they were they were there to decommission the ship, and the media was there, and it's just something that's available for people to have seen. I don't I don't I don't know I don't know what to say. <laughs> it just it seems it seems like a given to me. Like they might not have like shown monitors all over all over the colonies and had shown people sitting in front of them, but that was kind of like the point the point of it. You like you can infer that from that scene you, you get you get what i'm saying <laughs> i get what you're saying that's just not how i've ever looked at this i've always yeah. looked at this as sharon has shown and talked about how she has boomer's memories how she's not boomer mm-hmm. but she has boomer's memories that's how she knows yeah. so much about chief that's how she knows so much about all of them she had to in order to complete her mission which was duping Hilo. So yeah. her having Boomer's memories means that she has the memory of this speech. And it's interesting that in this moment where she they are trying to build trust with each other, she's accessing the memories of the person who tried to kill him. I mean, I think two things can be true, like in that in this instance, like everything you said. And then, but I also everything I was saying, like they can both be true. I don't, I kind of, I don't even think they, and to be honest, I don't even think that they ever really went into, and I think we talked, I've talked about this before where I don't think they really went into like the precise mechanism of how the memories transferred and how that even really works and how that was possible. And it was always like a question for me on the show, but I also just kind of rolled with it. In this case, I'm just like on a practical sense, I'm just like, oh yeah, she, she could have just like, I don't know, like. I'm going on this mission. I need to find out more specifically about Galactica. I don't, I mean, I don't know. So. They do discuss, there's a, an eight, we've talked about this. There's an eight model later that tells Hilo that she accessed Athena's memories after Athena downloaded so that she could understand them, their relationship better. And so the, the silence have a way they never give us specifically how but it is a something they can do if right, the that's person what I'm has saying. downloaded yeah that's what i'm saying it's like they they don't they don't like spell out how they put their memories there how they access them i think back in back in uh uh the uh, season one finale i think i kind of maybe came up with this idea or thought that when Boomer kind of went off on her own, she could have possibly downloaded directly into whatever their mainframe is or something. Cause there's a moment where we don't see her and mm. like, and maybe that could be the time when it happened, but they still just never, 
they never tell us exactly how that works other than other than like the downloading from when you die and you go back and you're into the you know, to your new body I don't they never really say how it can happen any other way. Yeah. Um and it it would seem like something would have had to happen for Boomer um to this, you know, to this Athena model. So but again, I say, I I think many things can be true. I also don't really get hung up on it <laughs> cuz right. I I don't really think that they really knew either. Um so No, it's just that they can that they have yeah. access somehow. Um, somehow Palpatine returned. We cut right into the middle of the battle. Um, the battle stars are attacking the base stars. Apollo flies the blackbird into the resurrection ship and disables its jump drive. He calls to Starbuck that the FTL drive is history and it's all hers. And as she responds, a raider slams into the blackbird and basically slices it apart. Apollo ejects and floats away. On the Galactica, D informs Adama that she received an emergency transponder from the Blackbird, the auto distress beacon. Adama tells her to alert the search and rescue Raptor and see if he had time to eject. On the Pegasus, Hoshi gives the command to launch attack squadrons. Um, Kane tells him to copy that over to Galactica, which he does. The fight goes on, and meanwhile, out in space, Apollo notices a tear in his suit and his oxygen leaking out as both battle stars fire at the base stars. So I always assumed that it was a raider that slammed into him. And it's like a little bit in relation to what we were talking about before we started recording with the whole him floating in the air and that the stuff that they cut out in the um, commentary, Ron Moore says that it was a raptor that he slammed into. He's like, if you do it really quick, you can see it. I didn't bother to look. Um, but it would, that was tied into that whole um, storyline that they cut in this episode where Lee would have been floating around in space and there's a bunch of dead bodies and stuff. So, and they would have been from the Raptor, mm. which it's just like a interesting note because it's a, it was a pretty big beat that they ended up cutting out. Um, just a lot of it was for time. Um, but then there was a, a big piece of it that ended up, like they just said, it would have been a little too dark for this episode, which was more about the battle and the aftermath of the battle that we had been building up to from the cliffhanger from last episode. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember. It does happen yeah. fast. Yeah, I so I don't remember yeah. what the ship looked like. If they're saying it was a raptor, then I'm, I believe that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's only because like, I, I don't care. I've always thought it was a raider, and I only think it's noteworthy now that it's a raptor, only because of that cut, that whole cut conversation that I just had. Like if, if, if it, if they had done that entire sequence, it, I guess it would have been more clear as a raptor. I don't know, but uh, um, he, yeah, he did say you can see it if you pause. But I didn't pause it because I don't, I don't care. So the cut sequence that you're talking about is that Lee was going to be floating around in space, basically making the decision to die while he's surrounded by dead bodies, which I, it makes sense that it would be colonials, not um, Cylon bodies because the Cylons 
don't fly around in the wrapped or the raiders. Although they did blow up the resurrection ship, so it could be those bodies. Yeah. But they they cut this whole thing out because it was a little too dark. Where Lee was basically choosing to die, which he kind of does as his oxygen starts to wear out. He takes his hand off of the hole, but it would it would have been too much. I, this existential crisis that is referenced in the official companion and in what you said, uh, Rod Moore said on the commentary, feels like other than the you know, him being disappointed that his dad would decide to try to assassinate his superior officer, the existential crisis part of it seems to be sudden. He didn't seem to be having an existential crisis before, and that's pretty extreme, a pretty extreme, like, choice to make when you're just disappointed, you know, for, for the last couple hours. It's pretty dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's a it's a that whole sequence is it's always been kind of interesting to me because on on one hand it's kind of poetic. Um, it's an interesting way to frame the episode, you know, because we're jumping into this big battle. So you're thinking that it's going to be like, you know, everything's going to be amped up to eleven, and it starts with this guy floating in the water or whatever, right? the and, and effectively he gets to his existential crisis from almost the the part where he almost dies and then from there we can kind of like how who lee becomes after that makes sense but there was nothing that showed us leading up to that that he was in the, any sort of state right. to want to like let himself like go. him having the him being where he's at know. later in the episode doesn't surprise me he almost died and that is jarring and that is upsetting yeah. and most people don't just bounce back from it i get that it's mm-hmm. that they specifically said Lee's having an existential crisis and here he is floating out in his eject chair and there's a hole in his suit and he's just deciding uh i don't want to live since when that's my that's my question. It's like they could do an existential crisis because he almost died, not leading him to decide mm-hmm. to almost die. If he's deciding like nobody's going to get me, I'm too far away, it's now my oxygen's running out, they're not going to get to me in time. Okay. I get it. It's it's that's my issue is specifically from the companion where they said he was already having an existential crisis. And my question is since when? Yeah. Since when? Yeah. It in, um, I think I was going to say this before my brain fritz. Um, but the the other point I was going to make was, um, just that, like that entire sequence, he, um, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard one to to do because he's stuck in this chair. Yeah. So there's no, there's nobody else there. So he can't like, there, there wasn't a lot of emoting and he like, and oddly just kind of sits there and, you know, I can infer a little, like a few things, but I think I needed a little bit more demonstrative action to like show me stuff. But again, like from a practical production standpoint, he, 
Ron Moore talked about how they like they intended more, but it just became something way too difficult to do. So they didn't do it. Um, similar with the, all the stuff in the water. They had more stuff that they were going to do in the water. It just didn't. It wasn't they weren't equipped to do any of it. So they just kind of cut, um, cut back on that. But from a storytelling aspect, I think they intended to do more and show more and they just couldn't. So, so we're, we're stuck with him just kind of sitting in the chair and maybe he was having a crisis, but we needed more things to get us to that point that we never got. So, yeah. Well, head six is having a crisis. She's in the break on the Pegasus <laughs> with Baltar, obviously, and she is maniacally saying that tens of thousands of Cylons are about to die. Baltar's just sitting on the floor looking at Gina with tears in his eyes. Six says that God will not forgive this sin, and instead of acknowledging her, he asks Gina if she thinks God will forgive them. Gina says that God forgives all. Six tells him not to listen to her. Does he really think that that broken woman can offer him half of what she can? His hallucination, the angel in his head, the chip in his brain. She knows what God's plan is for him. That whole conversation is just kind of, it's it's strange in some ways. and other ways, it makes complete sense. Um, when she, you know, she's, she, like, she's adamant that all of those Cylons dying cannot be forgiven, but... Meanwhile, 60 billion human beings yeah. died, and that's, that's all that, good. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's but... fine, because that, that, that fits her narrative. They deserve to die. Right. Kind of like how, yeah, it's kind of like how Anakin is able to be forgiven, even though he slaughtered a bunch of children, <laughs> sand people. Is he forgiven? Anakin? I don't know. We all we we all get warm fuzzies when he shows up in Obi Wan. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say what I felt was warm fuzzies, other than I love Anakin Skywalker because of the no, I just it's the animated series. But when he when he shows up at the end of Return of the Jedi, oh no, that's annoying. And it's like all oh, is forgiven. <laughs> it's all forgiven. No, but I'm, I, yeah, um, no, I just it's a joke. But it's like. There, it, it, why I say that's it's weird because you know because I I keep going off of the whole like she's an angel so how she even the even this even the episode before when she's talking about like what she used to do as six yeah. instead of like at, like so it's like she's establishing that that was her but then we know it's not her and then here she's like reacting so strongly to this thing. That's happened, even though she knows what the plan is. It's so, I mean, I just fall back on, like I often do, that they didn't really know what the nature of her was yet as as they were writing. Also, I don't think that she knows what God's plan is for him. I think she has a plan for him. She, whatever she is, is trying to guide him in one way or another. But she sympathizes with the Cylons. She's definitely on their side. So in her mind, Mm -hmm. killing 60 billion humans was justified because of what they did to the Cylons previously. But killing all of these Cylons as if they're not going around still trying to kill all the humans. But her, her 
her loyalty is to the Cylons, not to Baltar. Not to humans. So it's just hypocrisy. But also, like, her being jealous of a flesh and blood Cylon that's sitting here with him is just another sixth thing where she wants all of his attention. She wants him listening yeah, to her. Yeah, literally in my notes, literally in my notes, I wrote jealousy, why, question mark. Because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of tied into that whole that whole thing, which is like, I think it's kind of weird that she's just you know, like, who is, who are you, yeah. you know? And they never, like, I don't know that it ever really is definitive. Uh, uh, the final shot of the show to me kind of defines it, but it doesn't really line up with everything that they kind of like that everything that we see her be through from the miniseries to the end well baltar is not listening to her and instead he makes a choice and uses the story that she told him about sports to bond with gina six is begging him not to do this gina says that the story is beautiful when he gets to the part about having two tickets and one being for her Six, who had been begging him to stop, then just disappears. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm all choked up all of a sudden. <clears throat> so, what I mean, I almost cried a couple times <laughs> in this episode. But... <laughs> what I got from this, him saying, Oh, one of the tickets was for you, is obviously all of this is a lie, but what I think he's trying to say in his lie and saying it was for you is because he's already told her that he had a relationship with somebody on Caprica who looked just like her. So he's trying to bond with her by reinforcing that I've already had a relationship with a model Cylon that looks like you mm-hmm. and I'm transferring yeah. all of my feelings for her onto you. Right. Yeah. It was his way of telling her, yeah. Yeah. That his his loyalty <laughs> yeah. is not to the humans. His loyalty in this moment yeah. is to this Cylon woman. Yeah, he's like, I can be trusted because I'm untrustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically is what he did. <laughs> so D is continuing to call for Apollo. His air is running out. He says, I'm sorry, Kara, as he closes his eyes and we see him in the water allowing himself to sink. But then a raptor arrives to save him. The Colonials destroy the resurrection ship. Racetrack shocks Apollo back to life. So I guess Racetrack is also a medic. She's got a lot Was of that jobs. I don't... I don't know. The it might not have been the. Um... Yeah, I don't think it was her. Okay, because the transcript said it was, and I was like, I don't remember it being racetrack. I remember somebody with brown hair, though. So maybe not racetrack. Yeah, it was a. Yeah, I don't think it was her. Just only because I noted, I was like, who is that? And um, I do recall saying, like, um, like like, they listed some actress's name at some other point and they had i think they even have her name but she never shows up again so it was like okay didn't so matter. apollo um, yeah. gets shocked back to life <clears throat> gata informs the room that all of the remaining cylons <clears throat> have jumped away 
And Adama congratulates the room. And then Gina tells Baltar that she's ready to die. On the Pegasus, Starbuck makes her way to Kane. She's walking down the hall and she mutters that she wishes Lee was there with her. But what the hell? And she goes into the room. Kane says she's very proud of Kara. On the Galactica, Ty gives the orders to set to condition one and asks for casualty and damage reports. He says to Fisk that he's glad they didn't need his marines today, which Fisk agrees. Duala tells Adama that the flagship is on the line. and Fisk looks nervous. On the phone, Adama and Kane congratulate each other. He asks to speak to Starbuck. Starbuck looks like she's going to throw up. Adama tells her that it's not enough to just survive. They have to be worthy of surviving. And then he says that that is all. And she says that she thinks that's wise and gives the phone back to Kane. Kane asks to speak to her XO. And this is when Fisk looks like he's going to throw up. But she just <laughs> congratulates him and says that's all. And when he hangs up, Ty says he looks like he could use a drink and Fisk just bursts into laughter. So both of them have decided to abandon their assassination attempts and maybe try to find a way to work together. You know what this scene did for me? It made me hate the Game of Thrones finale even more. (laughs) Because... They sort of like in this episode, anyways, they sort of masterfully have two threats, right? And that was sort of like the whole point of Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones just kind of fell all over itself, like handle how they handled that at the end. Um, they like this kind of intertwined both of them. And I just, I don't know why I was watching this and I was like, God, I really hate that last season of the Game of Thrones, even though it had like some good episodes, but the whole point was like, the night people, whatever. Um, uh, but also them people vying for the crown and like they completely separated the two threads at the end and it reduced like the drama in the finale. This is not a game of Thrones podcast, but (laughs) this was a, this was like a good example of how you could do both of them and intertwine the suspense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So anyways, I don't know. And I literally was like, oh, God, I hate, I hate that last season of Game of Thrones so much. <laughs> yeah, that last season had one good episode and five bad ones. Uh, Night, of, Night of the Seven Kingdoms was a great episode and otherwise everything else was shit because they kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet Wait, and killed my dragon. One? Uh, which was the, which one was the night? Of, is that the the battle or no? Winterfell or no, was no, that... it was the one before the Battle of Winterfell. It was the one where Brienne gets <sighs> knighted. That episode was perfect, and then they went downhill from there. Back in the Pegasus Brig, Baltar signals a guard. When the door is open, Baltar starts to make this small talk until Gina attacks the guard and snaps his neck. She takes his gun and hands it to Baltar and puts it under her chin, and he says he can't do that. And She says that suicide is a sin, but she needs to die. And He says that she needs justice. And he knows a place she can stay where she'll be safe, and he'll take care of her. And she asks why, and he says that he loves her. Uh, if I were her, I would be like, 
you don't even know me. <laughs> you think you love me, you fucking crazy person. <laughs> I... <laughs> but she takes her opportunity, as she should. Kane returns to her room and starts yeah. taking off her uniform. And Gina walks in with a gun and says, tell me, Admiral, can you roll over? Beg. And she holds the gun to Kane's head. Kane says, frack you. And Gina says, you're not my type. And shoots her. That line takes on a different significance. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, so, you know, I watched this this episode a ton of times but like watching it this time i got really sad like watching um those final moments of kane just i don't i don't know why um it just was sad to me um and um i i think it's just kind of i was honing in on little acting choices that she made so she's like this tough strong person but it, she gives this little gasp at the right the moment right before she gets shot and it just it just made me feel sad for her you know um i don't i don't i mean mm -hmm. I, I think like as much as i as much as i say that i'm you know dead inside um sometimes i i get shocked by things so i don't know she i don't know if it's because uh, like, i'm older now or <laughs> she tortured a person and um allowed her to be gang raped and left a bunch of people to die don't have a ton of sympathy for her yeah like i said i mean it it, it may uh, just watching her final moments because that just kind of made me sad i think it's because we went through an arc with her and so whatever realizations about whatever she made by not making that call at the end we never really got to see and i, I mean again we we forgive we forgave anakin we we can forgive her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to her funeral. Fisk is finishing up his eulogy and then Starbuck gets up there and I have her whole speech here. She says, I only knew Admiral Kane for a short time. So what I have to say about her will be short. She faced things. She looked them right in the eye and she didn't flinch. That's something that we do a lot around here. We second guess. We worry. When I think about what she went through after the attack, all alone, one ship, no help, no hope. She didn't give up. She didn't worry. And she didn't second guess. She acted. She did what she thought needed to be done, and the Pegasus survived. Might be hard to admit or hard to hear, but I think that we were safer with her than we are without. Uh, Starbuck doesn't know. That she had more than just her ship and that she stripped them all of her parts and left them to die. So that might have changed her thoughts <laughs> a little bit if she were a little more in the know. But I understand what she's saying here. Maybe they do second guess things a little more. Maybe things do become a debate a little bit more. But if you're talking about saving humanity... There has to be gray areas. It can't just be black and white. And the way that Kane operated, it was very black and white. Yeah, like it's a it's a great tool to sort of again frame that larger conversation for the audience, right? Like we get to, um, you know, the 
seeing the Pegasus and seeing Kane, obviously we're not supposed to be on her side, but we get to contemplate like some like, okay, this is why maybe we shouldn't do um, certain things. But at the same time, um, she made the choices she made because of the circumstance she was in. She still could have made different choices, but it wasn't as easy as just... Um, she didn't have the same support that she would have had if she had been with the fleet. She didn't even have the same um, uh, Jiminy, Jimmy, Jimmy, the crickets on her shoulder to um, like kind of make her question some of the choices that she made. So um, I don't think it's like an absolute what Kara said, but it's definitely something that I think we're supposed to like think about. And in a practical sense, they actually probably are not as safe now that they don't have this commander making some tough decisions now that they're out there. We'll see. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do they make it in the end? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> they ever find her? I don't know if they make it. Yeah, I don't know. Starbuck goes to visit Apollo. He's just lying in his bunk, staring, unblinking above him. She asks if he is okay, and he says not really. He broke his word to her. She asks him what he's talking about, and he says he wasn't there when she needed him. And she's like, well, that a close call like he had would mess with anyone's head. She didn't need him anyway, so let's just be glad that they both made it back alive. And he says that's the thing. He didn't want to make it back alive. And D has been outside the room this whole time listening to this. So yeah, the birth Lee, of Dark Lee. Yeah. Like not wanting to make it back alive. Okay. Sad. Little boy. did we know this is a setup for one of the most terrible episodes of Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know. Hilo and Chief are brought back to the Galactica and they go to see Sharon. She rushes over to the phone and or over to the glass and then she and Hilo get on the phones. She said that she didn't think she would ever see him again and he's crying. He said he thought the same. Chief, meanwhile, is like watching this reunion and then he sort of stands by that vow he made to let it go and he leaves the break. When she says, where do we go from here? I thought of, uh, yeah, that one musical episode <laughs> of Buffy. Buffy? <laughs> yeah. Where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> don't sing anymore. You're going to owe Joss some royalties and we don't give Joss money. Yeah. We don't, we don't want that. <laughs> Adama goes to visit Rosalind. She looks better than she did the last time he saw her. She asks how the Cylons managed to get off the Pegasus unnoticed. He says, no one really knows. There was a lot of chaos in the aftermath of the attack. She says she's happy that he didn't have to do what she advised. He agrees and asks how she's feeling. She says that she could sleep for a year, but doesn't have that luxury because, or no, she says she could sleep for a year. And he's, I think he says I could do, but he doesn't have that luxury because he has a new job. She, she believes that someone that commands more than one ship is called an admiral. And gives him these admiral pins, which Billy had to track down a jeweler, I guess, to make them. It's my assumption. Yeah, I mean, I, 
No, I mean, I, I assume that that was like a glib expression. That just kind of the way she said it was like he was just being cute, but they could have pulled them from, I don't know. I mean, this is gonna be this is gonna be really dark, but uh, Admiral Kane had some. I thought <laughs> but about they that. They also could have just had them on the Pegasus. Yeah, I thought about that, but then I thought most military people probably would get buried or airlocked with them with their mm-hmm. uh, pins on. Um, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Billy tracked them down. Adama thanks her and Billy. He said he'd stopped. Trying to get this position a long time ago, but he never gave up. He, I never gave up hope, but I'd stop trying, I think is what he says. Um, she says that it goes to show you never give up hope. He says that the same goes for her. And they stand, and he touches her face, and then he leans in and kisses her. She smiles and then allows Billy to lead her to her room. Adama cries a little, watching her go, and then also looking at his new pins. They're more important than pins. <laughs> this was another scene. Like uh, this, this scene almost always makes me almost cry <laughs> every time I watch it. But um, you know that other, earlier scene with Kane that made me really sad almost did. But like this time, like you know, again, I all it's the feeling of the scene in the past that's always just made me cry just because like uh again this is like when they play the rosalind um adama music and which Mm -hmm. really stands big in my head here because that what closes the scene out but you know it's it's just watching now that i'm like more keyed into like their performances it's like the way he, just the way he helps her stand, like the like the firm arm that he uses to like help her stand up, and the way he like touches her face first, and then when he, he the way he kisses her, which has always been great, I always love that. Um, then you know, again, I was watching the um, the commentary and come to find out that that the kiss part was actually um, improv. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's just. It, it made it even sweeter to me because in a way it felt more genuine <laughs> than, than if it had been scripted. I don't know. So, um, cause the, uh, watching the show, I, I remember when that moment happened, it really like their, their relationship took a, a different context or a turn. It, it wasn't romantic at all for me, but it was just that like their, their genuine connection and affection was shown there. And it just, in the face of everything that we'd gone through the past three hours, it was, it always just almost always makes me want to, to cry, but I don't cause I'm dead inside. Mary McDonald said it felt very natural for the characters to share a physical moment. Laura is on the verge of death and it's a very emotional time for both of them. Michelle Forbes said, I was impressed by all three of the episodes I did. I think Battlestar Galactica is one of the smartest shows on television right now, and I was so moved by the episodes. I admired their bravery in addressing issues raised by times of war, and I thought Michael Reimer did an amazing job of hitting all the points. I just felt honored that I got to be a part of it. Um, apparently, Admiral Kane in the original Battlestar Galactica has a daughter named Sheba. 
Yeah, no, I, there's a, I think when it was, if it wasn't the beginning, it was, I think it was at the beginning of the episode when I was talking about the, the two parters, there's a character named Sheba and she's a, she, I mean, she's a, she's a big part of Galactica after those episodes and she becomes like a romantic foil for Apollo. Yeah. I definitely, you never said, I her, you never her, said her name. Right. You just said there was a blonde. I, I, I definitely, no, 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 that that's Cassiopeia. So, um, Sheba, I definitely, I, I definitely brought her up, but, um, that's different than Cassiopeia is the one that I was, I was kind of making a joke that, uh, in the, in the, in that two parter, she, um, it's like Cain had had a relationship with Cassiopeia in the past. And I was kind of saying how, like, in this reimagining, Kane has a relationship with another blonde, but um, and I think it might have been in Pegasus. I I brought up how um, there was the character named Sheba, and we can roll the tape. No, <laughs> but I definitely brought it up. So. I don't know. It's been two weeks since I listened to that when I edited it, so I just edited yeah, the other one fine. today. So I know the name yeah. Sheba did not come up last week, but. What Ron Moore says is that I felt Sheba was too cute a character for our show. I thought it would be too much of a stretch mm. for the reality of the show. It worked for the original series, but not for us. Yeah. I mean, I mean it makes sense. Like, I, In so, some ways, I would have wished to see a character like her, if not the same. And maybe she didn't have to be like like Kane's daughter. She could have just been a pilot on the ship, but it, I didn't feel an absence of, from the show either with her not being there. So what is, what is it about her that like, what is her archetype? Hmm. What's her archetype? I don't, I mean, he says that she really know. He says she's too cute a character, which made me think she was a child. So what does that mean? Too cute a character? Yeah, no, I he he meant it because I yeah, he because he he talks about that in the commentary for a previous episode actually, it, and I think he just the way he was talking, I think he just meant like cute, not not physically, but just sort of like oh, that's so cute. You have um, two. This he, what he what he said was this ship. Galactica had a commander and his son, so it was like too cute to have another ship with the commander and like the daughter. And so he just, he just was shying away from that convention and never explored that character. Um, which, you know, again, like I, Shiva is great. I love the character. She like it, between, it was like Apollo and Shiva and then Starbuck and Cassiopeia were like, kind of like a, like a little you know, like romantic group or whatever. Um, and she was a pilot she was like for like for like the late seventies. She was like a strong character. Um, she wasn't like she she wasn't portrayed as like infantile or anything like that. So she could have fit very firmly in this world because they went out of their way to reimagine some characters as women. So she would have fit great, but they just you just decided they didn't want to do it. So okay. Yeah. Um, there wasn't any other interesting trivia that I learned. Anything else you learned from the commentary? Um, not really. They he he just talk. They he talks a lot about like 
the length and how they just dis- it was a it was a great decision for them to be or they when they were allowed to make it a two parter it really opened up a lot of a lot of um opportunities to do more storytelling um that whole <laughs> it's kind of funny that whole sequence with um Tyrrell and Hilo like when I think about these episodes, I always forget about them, and they actually those scenes actually weren't even in the script until they were able to extend it into two parts. And because there's this whole sense of like they use those two characters to kind of spiral this conflict, but then they would just kind of disappeared till the end, and it was a little too convenient. So. There was like a little bit of that stuff. Um, just there's a scene I think with uh, uh, with D and Apollo that they're connecting more. That um, they ended. That's I think that's the one thing that they ended up cutting, but it was something they shot to kind of pad stuff out. So, well, it's funny because we had a lot we had a lot to say about the lead up to this, but then this is all just like conclusion stuff. It's like. Battle, no assassination attempt, celebration. Yeah, I think that, like, again, uh, the way... So originally this was one episode. When he talks about how the, um, the end of Act 2 was when he... When Adama tells Starbuck to put a bullet in Admiral Kane's head. So... Act three was like a little bit more compacted because it's a little bit more straightforward. And so when they expanded out to this episode, it still has that element of like, not, it's not, it's not very dense. Like when we go over some of these episodes, like when I'm watching the episode, I'm like, I can be like, oh man, I know this one's going to be a long one. And then some of them I'm like, oh, this might be kind of short because they don't, it's like not a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of epilogue in this episode. Um, and, um, that first part where they're doing the action part. So that was, a, that was a feature of how they originally had kind of planned out the episode and before they were able to make it a two-parter. So it, I think that's kind of why it flows the way it does. Yeah. It just seems like, like I had to check and see was the runtime on this shorter because it goes by so fast and, here we are, like, the episode for the last episode was extremely long. And this one, mm-hmm. like, we're done. <laughs> like, it just, <laughs> it, like, it, like, flew by. So, yeah. like the episode, it flew by. Yeah, um, yeah. So, was Baltar the worst this week? You know, he's, I'm going to say yes. Um because this is it's sort of tied into his trial later. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I always noted how like he was on the things he was on trial he was never guilty of and the things that he actually did he was never on trial for and this is one of them. And yeah. this and he caused the uh I mean two people he caused in this moment caused two people allowed to be killed, but then, um, like much later, um, a bunch of people are caused to get killed because of his actions. So he definitely is the worst in this episode, even, even if 
for most of it, he actually is being in his own twisted way, kind to someone. So on the surface, he might not be, but he definitely is here. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Who would get yeah. full colors? Um, full colors goes to, I'm going to give them to Starbuck. That's what I said too. Yeah. Yeah. She planned an operation, carried it out to success, did not have to murder someone. Chances are walking into the CIC and putting a bullet in the head of the Admiral would have gotten her killed. So yeah, I always did not die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was always like, Oh man, that would have, that would have been the end of her and Lee too, for that matter. Yeah. Um, who would you throw out the airlock? Um, I mean, they threw Admiral Kane out the airlock, literally. Um, I would, how about the, I probably the sunshine boys, the yeehaw boys. They definitely need to, they need to get. Yeah. Ejected. That's who I said. And this week's yeah. favorite Cylon. Um, it's kind of, I'm, I mean, Sharon's the only, oh wait, no. Yeah. Gina, but I, I'm going to say Sharon. Yeah. I think Sharon too, because she, I think she made some strides in her relationship with Adama here. And also her words changed his mind about assassinating someone. Yeah. All right. Do we have any reviews? We do not have any new reviews. I cried. I cried all night over it. You just said you're a Cylon. Although Cylons cry. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. I'm confused like Chief Terrell <laughs> in a few episodes. <laughs> so, I'm not going to um, wake up hating anyone. Before we get into where people can find us, I just wanted to let people know about an Indiegogo campaign that is happening. It is for a documentary that's being done about the show Lost. It's called Getting Lost. They have an Indiegogo campaign going on right now. I'm going to, in our show notes, link to where you can find their campaign, where you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, the people doing this are connected with our with the Geekscape network. Um, we weren't able to work out the time correctly to get them on to just talk about the documentary and I love Lost so I love talking about Lost which Diallo doesn't but wanted to promote this for them <laughs> um, but I did talk with Taylor he's the director of the doc about coming on to promote it once it is released which is going to happen next September they're going to be releasing it um, for the 20th anniversary of the debut of the pilot uh, it, they've got people from the show that they've interviewed, um, the raising a little bit more money will give them access to, uh, having more people from the show be interviewed. And so I just wanted to throw that out, go to their Indiegogo campaign. If you are a fan of lost and you would like to see this documentary, it is getting lost doc.com. That'll take you to the campaign. 
And uh, like I said, I'll share how to find them on the socials. Uh, yeah, everyone everyone should donate and um, get get them the money they need plus more. And the challenge should be that you want to convince me that this show is actually <laughs> worth my time. So I'm actually looking forward to watching it because I want to see how they frame some things. I have a lot of problems with the show, but if somebody can put them in a context for me that I would be, um, I would be softer on, I, I welcome that. So, um, I definitely, as grumpy as I am, I'm not like, I'm not like completely dead inside. Lost is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I love everything about it except for like one episode. So, uh, I am actually pretty jealous that I'm not making this documentary, to be honest. I wish I were. (laughs) Because there are a few things in the world that I love to talk about more than Lost. Probably uh, Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and Band of Brothers are the things that I've talked about as much as I've talked about Lost. So, yeah, um, it's always good to support independent filmmakers, especially um, when they don't have any sort of funding coming from any studio whatsoever. Because independent can also mean that they're getting money from studios. But these guys, they're, they're solely like crowdfunding. They made a documentary called The Last Blockbuster, which was the number one documentary on Netflix for a time. So they are legit oh, yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. Um, they just don't I have... Think everyone's heard of that. Yeah. They just don't have a lot of uh, big funding coming. So uh, help out your indie creators. Hey, man. It's rough out there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely... Yeah, um, take a look at it. And like I said, I I actually really am looking forward to the finished product. Yeah, and help us out. Tweet about us. Tweet at us at GalactuallyPod. Send us your thoughts at GalacticaActuallyPodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at GalacticaActually. Um, tell your friends. Rate and review us on iTunes. That will help people find us. Rate us on Spotify. And um, yeah, review us, please. Five stars. Where can people find you? Five stars, no less. (laughs) Um, Usual. uh, Instagram uh, at the Armageddon uh, the Armageddon uh, Facebook authors page. Uh, First Noel I was just trying to think, is my Instagram handle First Noel or is it First Noel Chronicles? I can't even remember right now. I think it's the First Noel Chronicles. Um, and I have a website with the First Noel Chronicles, which is an audiobook and uh, reading of uh, chapters I've put up uh, of my novel, The First Noel. Um, and uh, I'll be, be doing our Halloween episode of uh, TV Obscura this upcoming week, so it should be live by the time this episode is on air and that's it i do this other podcast called galactica actually and i really enjoy it (laughs) and it's my life right now so i do that too uh you can find my past work on the unspoiled network talking about lost and that was actually called the constant 
Um, also, Band of Brothers, Punisher, Doctor Who, and the Vampire Diaries. Next week, you can hear us talking about epiphanies. And then yeah. after that, it's the episode we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Two weeks. You're 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 taking the lead on that one. <laughs> I sure am. Lucky me. Oh man, <laughs> I skipped it in my so rewatch, good. so I get to watch it a couple of times to make sure I've got it all down. But yes, next week Epiphany. So week after that, we will be at Black Market. Awesome. <laughs> highly highly anticipated it's like when i was covering lost and we had to cover the episode where jack gets his tattoos i was dreading that for years leading up to that episode Uh um and it ended up being pretty fun because there was other good stuff in that episode if you took out all the jack stuff so anyway this is not a podcast about lost (laughs) thank god <laughs> thank the gods. <laughs> thank the gods. <laughs> oh man, uh, I, it's funny because as as much as I like, I talk, I talk crap about Lost. Like, I will, I will be the first one to say that the constant is like a fantastic episode. So it's a perfect I, episode uh, of television. I feel it's like beautiful. I am nothing if not fair. I am fair. <laughs> yeah, the reason that I originally called the... I wanted to call the podcast We Have to Go Back. And mm-hmm. somebody had already taken it. And then it turns out they did three episodes and never any more than that. And I could have used that title. But whatever. I was like, okay, well, uh-huh. if not, we have to go back. What's the next most iconic thing about Lost? And that is The Constant. But I didn't let mm-hmm. my co-host know what it was referring to because she was completely unspoiled. So it wasn't until mm. we got to that episode, which is in season four. So it was a really long time before yeah. we got there that she finally was yeah. like, oh, my God, I get it now. So, yeah, the constant. Great episode. Yeah. Okay. Well, until next week when we talk about Laura Roslin and her cancer, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I was uh, I was trying to think of like I was gonna say nothing but the rain. I definitely I definitely didn't hear downfall. (laughs) See ya. listening to the Geekscape Network.